Yes, good people, it's Francis here from Let's Do Humans podcast. This is just a quick announcement, just to encourage everybody here that's listening to our podcast right now, just to ensure that you subscribe and you follow us on all of the various platforms out there that produce podcasts, that's subscribing to us on YouTube, following us on iTunes and Spotify. I mean, follow us, make sure that you share our content and continue your support, that'll be greatly appreciated. That's Let's Do Humans, L-E-T-S-D-O-H-U-M-A-N-S, Let's Do Humans, one word. Appreciate all of your support. Stay blessed, good people. Yeah, no, definitely, we make it happen. But welcome to Let's Do Humans podcast. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, it's amazing. I know it's, it's been a while. We, we talked about it for a while in terms of getting you on the podcast and speaking about some of the work that you, you're doing and stuff. And um, I remember when, when we first spoke about it, you was wondering whether my audience would be like interested in, in the type of content that um, you would have to provide, the type of knowledge that you would have to provide. And my, my audience are like, they, they just love knowledge. They love knowledge shared. They love, they love progressive ideas. They love um, ideas in relations to like education and um, business and so forth. So I just thought like it would definitely be like an essential thing to share. And, and I delved into it a bit more to try to understand what it is that you do and also what the subject matter is, is about. And especially in relation to like our community, when, in, when I'm talking about our community, I mean like the black African community in particular. And I thought like it's something vital for, to let people know in relation to what the idea is and what sin is and how people can better help um, educate themselves in order to help their children. So um, first of all, do you mind telling us who you are? Just give us like a brief overview of who you are and some of the work that you do. Yeah, so my name is Nanadwa mm-hmm. and um, I've been working in education. I qualified as a teacher in 2011 mm-hmm. and I had many free breaks because I have three children. And so my my background is quite interesting. So during the year that I was qualifying to become a teacher, I fell pregnant. Mm. And then, but good for me that I was able to qualify anyway. And then I took a whole year off. And then I went to do my newly qualified year, which is essential for you to do. They're always changing the law. So at the time when I trained, you had to do your newly qualified year within 18 months. Is this and newly qualified to become a teacher? Yeah. So you yeah. do your training, PGCE at university and then you have once you get that you then need to do an entire year in a school which is called newly qualified um teacher position and you have various observations that you need to pass that year in order to become a fully trained or fully qualified teacher so they put a time limit at the time when i trained i believe it was 18 months if you do not fulfill that nqt year within 18 months you then need to go back to university and do the pgce all over again Oh, wow. But that's always changing. I've heard now it's five years. They, they've yeah. increased it to five years for you to complete that NQT year. So I did my NQT year. And then during my NQT year, I fell pregnant again. I know I had another break for an entire year. And then I worked for about two years before falling pregnant the third time, the third and final time. Are you sure it's the final time? It's the final time. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. So during that time, um, I was working in a special needs school. Now, my journey is interesting in the sense that I qualified as an ICT teacher because my degree is in financial computing. Um, I hated that degree, by the way. I just I kept thinking I just want to do a degree where when I come out, 
I'll be among the city people wearing the big suits and holding yeah. the <laughs> and so what your passion like basically it's just something it that you don't put financial yeah. I was just focusing on the financial side of things because I did an A-level in psychology and sociology, ICT and economics. And if I'm honest with myself, psychology and sociology were always my thing. I'm a people person. Mm. I love interacting with people. That's what my, that's where my desire and my passion is. So when I qualified from um, doing my degree, became an ICT teacher, I knew immediately I didn't want to be an ICT teacher. Mm. I knew I wanted to work in education, but I didn't want to teach ICT. At what level was this that you're teaching at? I teach at secondary level. Mm. So secondary and sixth form. Yeah. So um, teaching ICT wasn't where my interest was. And I kept being pushed into teaching pupils with SEN, special educational needs, and also those with low ability. For whatever reason, whenever I was pushed into those categories of children, I always felt, is it because they don't, rate me enough mm. is, it, is it a thing where they think academically i'm not bright enough to teach peoples that are of high ability and that's what stuck with me and because i kept being pushed into that another thing i kept thinking is that why is it is a common occurrence for black teachers be to be pushed into the classrooms where the pupils are most challenging mm. those that have behavioral issues and that's what's what the, what's I'm, the whole process behind that because sorry to cut you off but um in secondary school, I tend to find that as well. Like all, all the classes where all the bad kids were, there was always a black or an Asian teacher. I, I don't know whether it was a cultural thing or they just there was the pre-assumption that they, they could handle that type of an environment. Like, well, what was your what was your findings? I think it's a bit of both. I think they believe we can better relate to those peoples. Um, there is a thing about um, in order to yeah us being able to relate with them also dealing with behavior for whatever reason, I don't know what it is that they just automatically assume that black teachers can deal with bad behavior. Mm. And I noticed that in education a lot and I get, I come across many male figures, male teachers or male members of staff in education that go towards the route of becoming a behavior mentor, which to be honest, personally, I don't really like. I just, why do we always need to be pigeonholed into doing that? Why can't we teach the top sets in schools, teach the academic subjects? We're always being pushed in teaching PE, teaching music, teaching vocational courses, as long as the as well as sorry, dealing with the pupils with poor behavior. And so when I was giving those classes, I thought to myself, you know what, is I don't know why I keep being pushed into teaching these classes, but I'm going to make it my own. I'm going to make these classes rise on top of the stigma that's been attached to them that label of being naughty that label of being low achievers and so i i embraced it and in embracing that is when i realized that you know what my passion is working people with special educational needs yeah. i have a personal experience of special educational needs um in terms of a family member that has asperger's syndrome which is on the spectrum of autism yeah and so i've seen the struggle from my mother's you know, perspective and also working within the field, I see a lot of parents and how they struggle with the stigma of having a, a child with special educational needs. And so that opened a whole opportunity for me and I delved right into it. And I thought I'm going to become successful in this. Now, in going down that route, I had a lot of negativity um, from friends, from 
acquaintances where it was like you've gone to university to study to study financial computing and now you want to work with disabled children yeah. what's that about and so that in itself is a stigma isn't it mm. and i was and they don't realize that in this country in particular i feel like there is money when you're working with vulnerable people yeah. but me going into it wasn't because of the money aspect i have a general a, a genuine passion for special educational needs because of the personal experience and also seeing the struggle that some of these parents that have these children deal with in education and they need a representative within the education that looks exactly like them. There isn't many people that look like us that work within fields that I'm working in. And I think so that relatability is essential as well for the parents to be able to relate to whoever it is that's teaching their kids. Because as a black parent, if I'm coming into the school and um, my, my child has issues or, or particular needs and they're being taught by someone who can't relate to us culturally, that might hold barriers in itself as well. So having that representation is essential. It is essential. And so um, after I left that, that special needs school, I decided the next step for me is to become a deputy sustainer. Now, ASENCO is the acronym for Special Educational Needs Coordinator. Now, being within that role, what that role in, entails is being an advocate for the pupils that have special educational needs. So you are their voice in terms of communicating with the teacher, with the parent, with the local authority, with um, the parents and the teachers within the school. So you're their voice. You're the one that you're their middleman making sure that they are best being catered for within your classrooms um their voices being heard in the wider community within the school as a body and so that's what my role entails so i have i still teach alongside yeah that's what i was gonna ask you yeah i think that's very important you need to teach because i can't go out to teachers and say this is how your classroom should look like and this is how you should structure your lessons in order to cater for them if I don't teach myself, you know. So in, in representing or providing a service for anyone, there needs to be a common ground of relation. You should be able to relate with the person and you can only do that when you've experienced it or if you're experiencing it. And so me teaching helps me have knowledge of how my classroom should look like and that prepares me in providing the training and the guidance and the advice to fellow teachers. Yeah. Um, how does the role of a Senko work like coincide with you teaching? So on a day-to-day, how does that look like? How do you go about sort of identifying the individuals with like special needs and then and then like further provide the support and the help that they need? So in the school that I currently work in, um, it's hard in the mm-hmm. sense that this academic year I've been teaching three different subjects. So I teach maths. I teach computer science and I teach ICT. So in terms of my timetabling, um, it's a 20, 25 periods per week. We have five periods per day. Mm -hmm. I teach on average seven periods a week. Now, the average teacher who isn't in my type of role teaches, I believe, 20 periods a week. And so my timetable is really reduced in order for me to do the other parts of my role. Now, my role is, because I'm constantly giving advice, giving training, sharing knowledge, you know, I constantly have uh, meetings with parents, with external agencies. I work closely with educational psychologists, um, social workers, um, mental health nurses. I work with a range of agencies in order to ensure that the people with the SEN need is being catered for. 
within education. And I can only do that by working with all these external agencies because if a pupil has a medical need, I need to know the ins and outs of what the medical need is. So then I can share that information with my colleagues and make sure that we have the resources and we have everything in place to best support them while they're under my care in school. Is this funded um, by the school as well? Is this ex externally funded? Is this something that you do separate? So it, we make an application form. We make an application for an educational health care plan. Is, that, now, is that the school that does this? or The school can do it. The parent can do it. Every child in the UK comes with a pot of money. And I believe that money is £6,000. Oh. Now, what happens is that if that pupil has exhausted all that funding that's already been attached to them, we, as the SENCO, as the parent, or any other agency involved with that particular child, would then say, you know what, the child, the school has done whatever they can with the pot of money they've already been allocated, and we've extended, and it, we've exhausted all those fundings. So we need to now make an external application to the local authority to ensure that we can best support that pupil's needs with additional money that they provide to us. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when we make that um, application, that's a 20-week period where they're being assessed to see what all the people's needs are. Um, we come together collectively to have various meetings to discuss how that money will be used effectively to support them while they're at school. And then when that money is given to the school by the local authority, we then put interventions in place to see how we can support them. Yeah. Um, so, so classrooms have always been like a funny place for me. So I, I always make references to this. Like I, re I really struggled in school, like because uh, it was like, I don't know, God knows how many kids there were in one classroom, like 20 something up to 30 kids per classroom. Everyone's kind of being taught in a singular manner. And the issue is that if, if you're teaching 30 individuals with different skill sets, different mental capacities, different abilities to learn, different styles of learning, how do you cater to people's individual needs when they're all kind of cooped up in one classroom together and they're being taught in a singular fashion by one teacher? It's really difficult and it is a trial and error thing and teachers are constantly learning. But although we pride ourselves in saying that we're the experts in education, teachers are in a role where we... we always you've probably heard the term before reflective practitioners we're yeah. constantly reflecting over our practice having a classroom full of 30 pupils at the moment that's reduced oh. i don't know about other schools but i know that there's been a huge emphasis on making classrooms smaller so mm. then people will cater to them so at the moment it's about 26 24 to 26 it depends on the school but it's hard especially when there's a range of different abilities. There may be special educational needs. There may be undiagnosed issues. There may be behavior issues. And so it's constantly trying to reflect over your practice and seeing how best we can, you know, support that child, which is why it's important to have someone like myself in schools. Mm -hmm. And it's important that we work collaboratively. Um, the battle is not just for that one teacher. So we're constantly assessing. We're always looking at the data that shows whether that child is from a difficult background, um, what their SEN need is, um, whether there's something going on at home. Mm. And it's very important that we have that information because then we need to be sensitive to whatever that child is going through at that particular time in their life. Um, in terms of resources, we're lucky that we're in a developed country where we have access to a range of resources in order to make it interactive. Um, Schools have changed probably more so from the time when we were at school, yeah. where it was just sitting in your, in your yeah. own. Do you know what I mean? Textbook, yeah. science. All I remember about science is just learning from the textbook. Pretty it's much changed. so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
it has become very interactive. Technology is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And so we use the hat, you know, the interactive whiteboard. Mm -hmm. It's all about getting those people to be as engaged as possible. So you have to make it fun. Learning is about make, making it fun. And I always say a child will best will learn best in an environment when they know that you care and that there's the love. Yeah. And so that whole strict thing, or it doesn't help. I don't um, think it helps anyway. Yeah. I'm a very inclusive teacher. I need to make every make sure everyone in my class is happy and is in a happy environment. And we it's important that you incorporate the pupils' interests. So back in the day when we were growing up, I don't think people, the pe teachers actually cared about what our interests were. Not at all, no. It's just a case of them regurgitating whatever it is that's, that's in the curriculum for them to teach us, and then that's pretty much it, and you go about your way. Exactly. Yeah. So now it's different. We want to know what the pupils' interests are. So if it's Minecraft, whether it's social media, we make sure we incorporate all of those things into our lessons to make it more engaging and interesting for that child. Because... And we need to sometimes lower ourselves. Maybe that's not the right term to use, but bring ourselves to the place where we can relate. I believe in relating to people will make people want to engage more and want people to enjoy your lessons, the people to enjoy your lessons. But if you're stuck up, naturally, even as adults, if someone's stuck up, are you going to even make the effort to listen to what they've got Definitely to say? Definitely not, yeah. If, no. if you, feel, you, you, you kind of feel like they keep you at a distance then in that case. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like they're on a different pedal stool to yourself. Isn't it? Exactly. So it's about make, having a better understanding of the pupils you're teaching mm. and tweaking your lessons accordingly. It's not about having that perfect lesson plan yeah. just because you want to make sure everyone succeeds in, your, in that particular subject. It's, a, it, it's beyond that. I believe yeah. it was beyond that anyway. It's about yeah. preparing for life. Most and definitely. So, um, so talking about this new environment of like education and you particularly working in Senko. So, I mean, growing up when I was in secondary school, one thing I really noticed is that I don't think the teachers had the skill sets to identify when a student had um, a special needs in particular. So, for instance, like I struggled to read in school. The only book I ever read was of Mice and Men, and I was kind of forced to read it. <laughs> and outside of school, I hardly ever read. I read my first book in whole when I was like 22. But now I've read hundreds of books because now I have like a I have like a natural um, I have like a natural interest in culture, in politics, in ideas, in ways of thinking. So now I'm eager to read and learn. While I was at school, I'd only read one book, and no one ever knew. No one knew that I was struggling to read. No one knew that I was I wasn't even reading outside of school. And I don't think the teachers even noticed it. It's like when when it comes to asking the students to read, I either duck and dive, or when I'm asked to read. I'll, I'll just waffle my words until like the classroom gives up on me and then it kind of skips on to the next person but um what are some of the um skill sets that the teachers are being equipped with now to be able to identify that in the classroom of let's say 30 people or 24 or 26 students because wh when you're teaching them and when you're engaging with them what are the, some of the things that they're looking out for and then also apart from the teachers being equipped what are some of the subtleties that parents can like what are some of the skill sets that some of the parents can be given in terms of identifying whether their children have any needs Mm. So in terms of the teachers, I would say, um, for me, because it's, it become, it's, it's become so natural for me to be able to identify them, you just sort of like pick it up. The longer you're a teacher, you notice when a child doesn't want to engage in the lesson. Whenever you give them a written task, they'll shy away from it or they'll become extremely defensive. Every time you ask them to speak out in class, they'll just go quiet. Or a, a huge trigger for me, I notice, is that they immediately become defensive. Mm. They'll become rude just because you want them to read something. You know, that's no when they act saying, out, probably. 
that's when they act out. You can also tell certain SEN needs, for example, if they're constantly fidgeting, Mm. you give them a task that's supposed to last for just 10 minutes. Within that 10 minutes, they have moved several times. They can't stay. (laughs) (laughs) They can't stay put. No matter how much you say, just stay focused. You need to do this. They can't. You give you explain the task within a minute. They're asking you, what did you want me to do? I don't understand what you want me to do. And you're constantly having to repeat yourself. That is another indication that maybe something is not quite right. Um, another thing, dozing off in lessons. No one's ever really that tired. <laughs> yeah. little, do you know what I mean? There's yeah. little things that you begin to notice that something's not quite right. And you begin to question if, for example, you notice after lunch, they just come into lesson and then everything's just going downhill. They're very confrontational. They constantly get themselves into situations with other peers. They become aggressive when you ask them to share or when you're doing a, um, a competition in PE. There's little things in the lessons you begin to pick up on. And if it's a common thing in various subjects as well, not just your own, then that's when you need to say, you know what, let's analyze this particular child for a certain time. And let's see if there's any other underlying issues. Um, in terms of the parents, some parents pick it up very quickly because they're in the house with the child. They notice that the child, just like some of the things that I've, I've mentioned, they do the same things at home. But for whatever reason, they seem to be a lot more aggressive at home when, they, um, when those things are addressed. And some of the parents will come to us and say, my child doesn't want to do this. I find it a bit strange. They don't want to do this. They never understand what homework they have. Their organization skills is non-existent. It's like you you tell them they've got a visual timetable, but for whatever reason, they never know what lessons they're having on on any day. That's a sign. Um, You can, another sign is when they're writing, if you're in secondary school and you still cannot write on lined paper, you would question that what's going on. There's little things as adults, even as children, when you give birth to children, there's certain milestones that they should achieve by a certain stage. And if they're not achieving that, you begin to question what's going on there. And so parents have this. Like I know those with younger children below the age of five have the little red book. You don't have children, so you probably don't know what the little red book is. Yeah, no, I don't know what the red book is now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it gives you a guideline of different milestones that should be um accomplished by a certain stage in your life okay if they're not achieving that you'll see the pediatrician and they will say okay let's address this area because by the age of two they should have been able i don't know to walk by now by the age of four they should be able to talk if your child is reaching a certain age and they can't talk they can't walk they can't dress themselves in secondary school you'll begin to question is everything all right here and you'd like to um, dig in deeper to find out what the issues or the concerns are. And so it's the same way. Yeah. And so we equip parents to have a look, to monitor their child at home, the same way we monitor them at school. Yeah. And then we'll give parents a report. Do parents engage with with these things? Though? So in terms of like the parents monitoring and tracking their children's progression, do they engage with the teachers? Like, would they come up to you and be like, OK, I've noticed that my child is missing now on A, B and C. Like, how can we take this forward? Because I know in terms of like development, in order for you to be able to develop properly in, in uh, education and academically, your parents do need to actively be heavily engaged and they need to mm-hmm. actively be heavily like um, find interest in what it is that you're doing in, in school. So do, do you find that with parents? There's a mixture. 
so there's mixture of different parents the same way you have mixture of different children you come across parents that are very overly engaged to the point where they want to come and teach you how to do your job <laughs> the annoying ones yeah. yeah we got the annoying ones yeah. then we have the one that unfortunately their circumstances don't allow them to be as involved as they would like unfortunately these tend to be parents from the bme community yeah. it's not because they don't want to engage is unfortunate that they're the first generation of immigrants in the country where they're probably in a situation where they're looking after their siblings' children in their in their, from their homeland, as well as looking after the children they've given birth to here. They will like to come to their parents' evenings, but unfortunately for them, they've got five other jobs that they need to attend to. And if they don't, they fall behind in, prepare, in providing the food on the table for their children. And it's so unfortunate that in education, sometimes these parents can automatically be stereotyped in being neglectful and it's not a matter of them being neglectful it's not a matter of them not caring it's just the situation they find themselves in has forced them to come across in that way but they do care and you get the parents that they are craving for some type of diagnosis because they just can't parent Mm. let's let's be real take responsibility yeah, and so for them, the parents that struggle with the whole parenting, they just want to label just to say, you know what, it's not me, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm actually, yeah. my child has this label. And then I come across parents who their child, you you see their child and you know that isn't, it's not going well. There's something there. There's an undiagnosed thing going on here. But they refuse. They're in denial about the whole thing and their child that is co- not That's accessed. a major cultural issue though, isn't it? It's that, a cultural Yeah. Yeah. How, how do you how do you deal with that though? Because obviously, I I know coming from an African background, um, us culture, religion, everything is very much submerged together, and it tends to be quite problematic when it comes to issues of like mental illness, issues of having um, disabilities, and like and those issues tend to be usually derive around like acceptance and being able to like find help and and accepting that you do need help in order to support your children. How, how do you cope with that? And what are some of the hurdles you you come across? It's really difficult, you know. Yeah. Um, I can't lie to you. Obviously, um, being in the church myself and as being from Ghana, mm. it is there's a huge influence where the culture and the religion has become intertwined. Yeah. And um, what we learn from the Bible about, you know, not accepting any label because mm. um, death and life lies in the power of the tongue. Yeah. And I come across parents who are very heavily involved in the church. And you can tell just by looking at their child that their child does have some needs, but they refuse to accept the label or accept any type of diagnosis or even get their child checked to see if they have a diagnosis because they will tell you, definitely life lies in the power of the tongue. And the once once I accept that diagnosis, then that's it. Cursed your child it. in essence. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, the child is the one that is suffering because there's only so much a school can do or move forward or even get funding if you're not allowing us to identify what the real need is. We'll make loads of adjustments for that child. But like I mentioned to you before, we can make an external application in order to get additional funding to the best support your child. And so I'll come across parents where they've brought anointing oil and they will say, "Um, Nana, can you anoint the child? Yeah. Can you anoint my child? And it's a difficult position for me to be in because that goes against school policy. I can't be, you know, 
anointing your child. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but this is this is the issue that I face. And if I'm honest with you, I'm still trying to work on that because I get where they're coming from in terms of being in the church myself. Yeah. But with the support that a school can give you, you're going to get a lot more support if you allow us to identify what that need is. You can still, I still encourage people to pray. Continue yeah. praying. No one's saying don't pray. Yeah. But I have pupils who have said to me, they'll come into school tired. And these people, you know, there's an underlying issue. Or sometimes they already have a diagnosis. And they will say their parents are dragging them to prayer meetings, prayer meeting after prayer prayer meeting yeah. and sometimes they wish they weren't born because clearly they are a problem for their parent and it's sad to hear that when a, a child is saying that to you and at the same at the same time I sympathize with the parents because they they're doing all they can they just want a solution and yeah. the religion that they see themselves in you cannot accept the diagnosis yeah I it's it's such a it's such a I think it's it's a generational thing. It's, it's and as sad as it sounds, I think um, with with the with the change of um, with the change of the gods in terms of like going into the second and third generations of Africans, I think that's definitely going to change. I think we're more exposed to the educational side of medicine and science, and we know how to how to merge that with our faith without necessarily being sinful about it. I think did you get a call? Yeah. Yeah, that's where it cuts off. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, it's fine. It, it happens when you people usually use their phones to call me because I'm on my laptop, so I don't really have that disturbance. No, what I was saying is that it's, it's a generational thing in regard. Sorry. No, it's right. Do you want to send them a message? Yeah, I've sent them a message. Yeah. Sorry. Cool. Yeah, what, what I was saying is that um, it's definitely like a generational thing in terms of being able to understand religion, medicine and science. And and mm -hmm. and without and being able to assess it properly without feeling sinful about it because I think what a lot of like our parents generation they feel like if they accept science if they accept medicine it's almost as if like they're sinning against. <laughs> no, no worries. Yeah, so so I don't know if you got the last part that I said, but I was just talking about like the generational issue of um, what we're facing in regards to like religion, medicine and science. And I think that with our generation and the next generation to follow, they will have a great understanding of the three um, and they will be able to find a way of merging the three without feeling like they're sinning against God as such. Because obviously yeah. the religion is the most important part of a Christian's um, livelihood. But um, I think that's when the responsibility of also the church should come into it. That they should, because yeah. at the end of the day, the parents need education. They need, because the only people that are going to suffer is their children and their children's children if they don't take that into, into action right now. Because if you're preventing them from getting the necessary help that they need in order to advance their, themselves academically, they're only going to suffer later on down the line. So I think maybe like the, the church and in particular, the, the, the black church needs to take some level of responsibility in understanding that if, is people and this congregation are not educated on real matters of medicine and science and the importance of it and in particular when it comes to your children's mental health and people with learning disabilities it's only you that's going to suffer in the end so they really need to step in in that sense and maybe people like you need to probably get involved with churches more and and educate them on these processes and and the importance of it i i i yeah i, I totally agree with what you're saying and that is one of my aims to be involved in church in the sense of delivering such information because it comes back down to the lack of education mm. um it's slowly got to a place where churches are now accepting science because yeah. if a 
God, if a person, let's say, for example, is suffering from cancer, you're not going to say, let's not go for treatment. Let's just stay at home and let's be praying about it. Mm. You're going to be alongside getting the treatment. And so I think over time, they will get to a place where they're praying alongside getting the help from education. Yeah. But it's about not having the understanding of what this special education needs is. Mm. That's the issue. So in terms of when you look at the church and mental health, for example, that's slowly, they're slowly starting to understand that get help, get medical help for your mental health as as well as let's pray alongside. Yeah. Whereas before it was, you must be possessed by a demon. Yeah. And you don't, you know what I mean? You don't yeah. need to go and get medical. Let's just be praying. Yeah, definitely. And um, w- one of the things as well that I, I noticed within the community is that sometimes a child might may have like um, learning difficulties or mental health issues, but they kind of labeled as just being like a bad child like akolaboni as we will say in tree so mm. is, it, is it easy to distinguish between the two so for instance if you have a child in class that's been destructive is because sometimes the, the reason why so as to play the devil's advocate the reason why some parents might not want to diagnose the children is that they just assume that the child is bad or they're just acting out that there's no no actual real issues um, underlying issues so in terms of like on a professional scale um, is it easy to identify <laughs> Is it is difficult to identify. Mm. There are some that you can see that you're just playing out, just mm. playing out because you, you want to get away with it. And then there's some, which is why it's important that I work with external agencies and I working with educational psychologists, they can delve in deeper into what the root issue may be. Sometimes they're playing out because they're just being an, a regular teenager. Mm. Sometimes you can tell that there's something else other than just you playing out. Most times there is a very close link between special educational needs and, as they say, naughty behavior. If a child, like we mentioned before, is being extremely defensive just because you've asked them to write something, sometimes they're hiding the fact that they struggle to write. Mm. They're going to play out because they're trying to um, trying to hide the fact that they can't read. Yeah, I, I used to say I have a stomachache. So if, if I don't want to read and we're going into English and I know they're going to ask us to read, I'll just be like, yep, my stomach is hurting. Like just to find an excuse to come out of it. This is it. And also they tend to have very low self-esteem. So they're quick to insult themselves before you, before, because they think you're going to say something. So they'll insult themselves before you do it. Mm. And so they'll say, oh, I'm, oh, I'm done. Oh, no, I can't read that. You know, I'm done. I can't do this. And that also gives you an indication that, they're playing out because of their own insecurities. And that insecurity always stems from somewhere. They find it difficult to understand the task that's being presented before them. And so it's always about um, doing some type of screening. So in the work in the school that I work in, I'm in charge of screening kids. I use a particular program called Lucid. And that helps me to um, screen the kids to see whether there's cognitive, slow processing, if there's any any type of um, I don't know comprehension low, they find it hard to comprehend what they've read, um, and that gives me an indication of whether there's an underlying special educational issue or if it's just behaviour. So yeah. if let's say they do that screening and on average all their scores are quite high, then I know it's not an educational thing. It's yeah. just a poorly behaved child. Yeah. But also, when you're having a poorly behaved child, a naughty child, as we say, we're not supposed to use that language. 
Okay. But, yeah, in education, we're not allowed to say naughty. If you do have a child like that, that behavior stems from somewhere. Every type of behavior, even in adults, comes from a place. It's usually from a place of trauma. Mm. That child may be having a difficult home life. Yeah. But the thing is, people don't make time to get to know what, what's going on behind the scenes and they're quick to just label. Yeah. And in that label, as we know, self-fulfilling prophecy is real. It sticks with you. You accept the label you and act you on it. Yeah. Act, mm. act out that label. Yeah. So um, it's about having patience to know them. Yeah. Um, what I was going to ask, so how, as, as a parent, how do, how do parents, for instance, like create an environment where their children um, are better equipped to learn? So... As you said, parent, that was my child calling me. Oh, is it? <laughs> is it an emergency or just, just calling you? It's not an emergency. She just wants to hear my voice. Oh, okay. No, no I was saying, like, um, how, how do parents create, like, a, a, a holistic environment for the children to learn in, like, at home? Like, let's say children in particular with, like, um, learning issues. Like, how, how do they better engage with them? You know what? Since lockdown, it's been difficult for parents, you know, with their children. Yeah. It's been hard. Yeah. So, um, there's been a lot of help from schools where I know in my school particularly, we've been making sure the learning support assistants, in some schools they call it teaching assistants, um, call the pupils via you know the means that we have now, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, etc., and make sure they're having regular communication with the schools. Because one thing with kids with SEN needs tend to have, are more prone to suffering from anxiety. Mm. And so any little change in routines can affect them massively and so just maintaining some regular form of routine for them is essential some parents are better than others in the sense that they are able to provide that educational environment at home some parents really find it hard where they, they lack the resources like I said they're either working multiple jobs they're either on their own as well they have multiple children maybe more than one child with an SEN need and so it's important that as a school we support them as much as possible and that's why I keep mentioning about external agencies we ensure that they're working with them in those home environments and um, making sure that they build the, the bridge that the school can't particularly offer because there's only so much a school can offer we do our part within the school walls but in helping that parent so we have loads of forums for parents with SEN um, children and like, there's a, quite a few forums that I set up where particular parents of certain needs, whether it's autism, with ADHD, they can speak to other parents and we give them guidance on how to support them at home. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Um, now, now tell me, so I, I know recently you, you've, you've jumped on social media quite a bit and um, you started a wonderful page called, um, what is it called? Wonderful World of Special. Tell us a bit about it. I'm going to put the link below and have everyone follow your page as well and check out some of the great work that you're doing there. What, what's the inspiration behind that and what, what's their aim? So the aim with that is that, like I mentioned before, there's a huge stigma attached to SEN. Now, when I say that, I know some people will be like, well, I don't think there's a stigma. I think there, there is only because I've worked in education, let's say, for about seven years. And it seems where, especially within our community, the BMA community, where they, there's a stigma either because of cultural differences, religious issues, or just a lack of education. So my whole point about this page is to educate 
our community. Educating in the sense of letting them know what the different SEN needs is like people think of SEN and just automatically think autism. Autism yeah. is not the only special educational needs out there. Yeah. Dyslexia is not the only special educational needs. And so it's about educating them about all the different needs that are out there. But you never know. You may have a child that actually falls into that category, but you never thought it was SCN. Yeah. Disability is, is also part of that umbrella. Mm. But people think, oh, if I have a hearing impairment or a visual impairment, I don't fall into that category. Yes, you do. And so it's about me educating, me empowering, making families that have these children, or if they have it themselves, feel empowered in getting the knowledge, um, you know, preparing their children for when they go into schools, asking the right questions when their children are at schools. So I just want to provide a service where your child is getting the best out of education. No child should should be in a situation where they can't achieve just because they have a label attached to them or a diagnosis attached to them. I don't believe that's the case. I strongly believe that with the right support, any child can achieve to the best of their potential. It's just having the right people around you. Um, so that wonderful world of special, what I've been doing, I started that on the 31st of May and is basically giving a platform to any parent or anyone that has special educational needs that wants to share their experience, their experience either being that I've got dyslexia, I feel there is a stigma attached and I want to help eliminate this stigma that's attached to SEN and also um, share knowledge. So my aim is because of my role as a senko, I want to be able to, you know, in the future do webinars, mm. educating these parents in that yeah. sense. I was going to ask that, them, doing seminars and stuff, yeah, workshops. Yeah, that's my aim, workshops, you know, um, the school doesn't have to apply for EHCP. Parents can do an application as well. It's about you finding out as much information so your child can achieve whatever they wish to achieve. And that's what I want to do. And I'm passionate about our community because I am that community. Yeah. And I don't feel there is much out there. I go into Senko forums and I'm usually the only black person or the black only person of my age. I don't come across many. And so when I'm even mentioned I'm a Senko, some people are like, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. When I was at school, I don't remember knowing who the Senko was. Yeah, I don't have a clue if we even had a Senko in our, in our school, to be honest. Yeah. There was a guy called Mike who used to run around the school and just like... I don't know who... <laughs> is, is, you getting called by your children again? Yeah, and all they do is say hi. <laughs> are they in the house or are they, they going out somewhere? They've gone out somewhere. Oh, they okay. just want to come and say hi. Yeah. But anyway. No, I, I was saying that when I was in school, I didn't even know whether we had a Senko or anyone in, in relations to like helping people with like special needs. And I remember there was one guy called Mike. He used to just wander around the school and just like speaking to some of the naughty kids or, or mm -hmm. misbehaved kids or whatever. But there was no no one specific there. And that's why like I'll, I'll definitely um, employ everyone that's watching this right now to go and check out some of the wonderful work that you're doing. Because I always feel like when it comes to matters of like um like advocacy i think the issue is that people don't know where the resources lie 
Like mm. that is the major issue. So there, there tends to be resources out there or there tends to be like information platforms out there or individuals with the knowledge out there, but people just don't know w- what direction or where they are in the first place. And that's probably one of the major reasons why I wanted you on because I was checking out some of the work and I thought, wow, this is actually like amazing work that you're doing in relation to like giving out the right information and putting the content out there to inform people. But people just don't know there is out there. So definitely it's great mm. work that you're doing. And um, I- I'm definitely going to be keeping my eye on the, the project. No, I definitely will do, and I'll definitely support it and promote it as much as I possibly can, because definitely ensuring that the parents do have the resources and are able to get in touch with you, that'll be absolutely great. So are you available for people to get in touch with you, and what are some of your contacts and your socials? Yeah, so at the moment, all I have is the wonderful world of special on Insta. Mm. I'm hoping to go into different forms of social media. Mm. Um, So people can just DM me on there. And if you are interested in being featured on the page and want to share your experience or encourage someone, please do send me a DM and I will feature you on the page. I'm hoping to do do more Insta Lives, Insta interviews with professionals as well that I work alongside with. And also with families, because I want families to come out there. Be bold. Come out there. Mention what your struggles are. Mention what you're going through. Because you'll be so surprised that there's other families out there that are suffering in silence. Yeah. Because they think they're the only parent with a child with an SEN. Yeah. You're not the you're not yeah. the only one. You're not alone, and it's not an embarrassing thing. Yeah. Be bold, and let's all support each other. So that's my aim: coming together in, in order to empower and educate each other. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. And I I think I mean if I was to have a suggestion for you as well, I think when you're doing the lives as well, you should record them maybe like uh, in audio format and publish them as a podcast, maybe, or it's like a yes. conversation for people to download. Because one of the things I'm realizing since I started like podcasting is that there's so many people with issues out there, but they, they fear speaking out until they hear someone else say it. So yeah. when they hear someone else say it, then it's like oh. Like, it's like a sense of relief. It's like they can talk about it almost. So in my last episode, I was speaking to a gentleman and that's when I I, I first mentioned on the podcast, I read my first book at 22. And all of a sudden, loads of my friends were calling me being like, yo, bro, you know, I couldn't read. You know, like I can't read or like, or I've never read a book before. And and it's like, it it brings people out. And the the thing I think about, the amazing thing I think about conversation and enabling people to talk their honest truth is that it then enables them to identify and rectify the issue. Because mm-hmm. if, if you're not bold enough to speak about it, you're never ever going to be able to solve it. You're going to keep it to yourself. And that's why it's, it's vital to share and to be honest about what it is that you're sharing. It's so true. And one of my quotes that I love, I've, I've forgotten who said this. Actually, it might be Dr. Chimbudu, you know. Yeah. He always says that you cannot conquer what you will not confront. You need mm-hmm. to confront it. And in confronting it, it's about you being bold and being open about whatever it is you're going through. And that's how you'll conquer it. Yeah. And so that's the same thing that I'm trying to do here. Let's come together. Let's confront. Let's talk about what the issue is and let's tackle it together. Because if we come together as a village, a village can do a lot more than one singular person. That's definitely. But the people aren't willing to open up. And I understand it. I get it. But like you rightly said, there's so many people going through the same issue. All they're waiting for is that one person to step out and be bold enough to say it. Yeah. But instead of waiting for someone else to be bold, you step out. You be bold. Yeah. You say it. And other people will follow. You start that's, the trend. Definitely. That's that's a beautiful note to end on, Anna. Um, I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast and sharing your knowledge. It's been like an absolute pleasure and an eye-opener as well. And we're definitely going to have more conversations down the line because now 
I, I'm starting the process of thinking as well. And the thing is, every time I have a conversation with someone in relation to any particular topic, I, it, it then starts a thought process in my mind as in like, how can we move together as a unit to to help solve various issues within the community and and, and as, a, as a global community as a whole as well. So I'm definitely going to think about it and come to you with more ideas and we'll, we'll discuss them as, as time goes on and progress together as one. No problem. Thank yeah. you. I'm waiting for you to be featured on my page. No, definitely. Whenever you're ready, I'm down for it. What you got planned for the rest of your day, then? I'm going to enjoy life, but eat. Yeah. <laughs> Me, I'm, 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 I'm,